With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chatter podcast. I'm your boy Jess Ray. Um, tonight uh, we have a very special guest. Um, I would like to equate this guest to a young black version of Elon Musk or any other like tech innovators. He's a good friend of mine. Um, his name is Brandell Randolph. He's got a lot of things that he's working on. He's been doing some stuff, and um, I want to let him introduce himself, and then we're going to go into the episode. So. Brandel, without further ado, go ahead and introduce yourself and let people know who you are. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Brandel Randolph of the 1864 Um, We are one of the only, if not the only, black-owned um, e-bike manufacturing company in the world. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, at least you in the United States. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, without further ado, um, what were you doing anything before e-bikes? Like, like schooling? What what kind of schooling do you have, or what what got you in? So basically, um, my background is I started in trading. I was I'm actually a, I was actually a licensed uh, stock and commodities broker for a number of years in Los Angeles, and. Okay. When when the Bernie Madoff situation happened and you saw all those people fleeing the hedge funds and those kind of things, my fund was one of those things that suffered. So all the money left our fund and I was fired, kicked out of it's not fired, but they just kinda dissolved into a like firm. So with nothing to do okay. I wanted to become a business school professor. So I went to this conference <laughs> For business school professors, called the PhD project, and there it was up in Chicago, and there I met this beautiful woman and followed her to Lubbock, Texas, and that's, that's my wife now. But um, while in Lubbock, they no one's really hiring for traders. There's no commodities okay. traders there. You want that kind of work, you got to go to Dallas, which is like six, seven hours away. So I ended up working at Home Depot, and I guess the only way I can tell is actually on um, in this TED talk, but I'll go and get into it for a few minutes. Um, while I was going to work early one morning, this guy was outside begging for spare change. I was coming in, and then this other guy came out, and he threw a breakfast sandwich at this guy who was begging for spare change. And mm-hmm. he and I got into it, but what happened was that I found out that this guy was actually a college student. And he just needed a bus there to get across the town. And then I did so it got me thinking how much we 
embrace the orange poor people because we don't just ask them what they need. We assume we know what they need. So I started entirely huge nonprofit organization called Project Poverty, and I wrote an algorithm. And from there, did a TED Talk. And then when we moved to Boston, I wanted to start keep my nonprofit going. So I did the same algorithm, and I found out that uh, here in Massachusetts, women who have criminal backgrounds or in their, in their records are some of the most likely to lead households that are children under the age of 18 that earn being the poverty threshold. So basically, the 1854 Circuit Company started as, a, as something that I wanted to do for them. I want to create jobs for family incarcerated women. That's how agency people started. Okay. Hey, Brenda, do you mind probably adjusting your mic because it sounds a little bit blurry? Oh, it does? Okay. Let me let me get to a, a different location of the house. Yeah. Is this a little clearer right now? It's a little – it's clearer now. Okay. I'll, I'll stay right here. Okay. 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 All right. So continue? Yeah. Yeah, so basically 1854 started as a place where I could hire, formerly, hire the former incarcerated. So they wanted to pay okay. wages to people who had criminal backgrounds. So we started from making the simple single-speed bikes, then evolving e-bikes, and now we're just completely technologically advanced e-bike that is so beyond anything I've ever done in my life that it's amazing. But we are planning to go out probably in October with that. So that's amazing to see. No, it's quite it's funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. uh the process of the, the manufacturing bikes, like how does that even work? Like do you do drawings? Like so, where does that Oh, so what happened with that, and this is something that I can tell the young entrepreneurs and innovators and people there, is that you don't just draw out of your imagination. You draw based on observation, whatever else. So basically, it's basically called human-centric design. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Well, what's the, what the term again? Human-centric like you base it around humans, right? So you ask okay. or observe to find out what people need. Like, for instance, if you want to build a better spoon, go and watch a restaurant and see how people use the spoon, right? And you figure out mm-hmm. what are they doing right, what are they doing wrong, what can make it more comfortable based on observation or whatever, and you design from there. So what happened was that we found out what this market needed. And we realized no one else could make that for us to make it ourselves. So that means we had to go and find engineers to ergonomically figure out where all the key pressure points are, the steeple and everything else. Then we had to find fabricators. Then we had to find well, a whole plethora of things. But then, okay. because of all the other stuff, hold on. We have to design it based on the parts that are available. Because you don't want to develop something where people can't get it fixed. So if it's a bike, you got to make it so that if they want to go put different tires on it, they can go to the local shop and pick up the tires. So you can't make a 
crazy special tire for this. It doesn't work because then it becomes so exclusive, nobody's going to buy it. Because right. They can't fix it. But that's a design cue. So, if you don't mind, can we can we back up a minute because I yeah yeah yes 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 please. As far as like so, what what do you have any like? You went to school, obviously. Like, where did you go to school? Like, to get into trade so, and all that stuff. I have a so I went to the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So I have a uh-huh. business background, finance background, and <laughs> I you know so so that's pretty much what I did there. But that's how I learned to do a lot of other things. Okay. But, um, what it what it taught me was a lot about business in general. But honestly, I can tell you I ran into some of the most brilliant people who learned as they grew, so to speak. So it's not really your education that guides you. It's mm-hmm. how you're able to learn based on all your setbacks and failures and things you've observed other people do. For instance, okay. the best entrepreneurs are people who failed at three or four businesses before because they learned from their mistakes and they're humble enough okay. to learn. And those kind of people succeed because you can see some of the most talented MBAs ever and they can't get a product to make a profit. Wow. So, okay. So, so, yeah. Go ahead. So, okay. So, all right. So, there's a like right now, COVID, over 19 is happening. A lot of people starting businesses. I don't think a lot of people understand what it means to really be an entrepreneur. So, besides like <laughs> setting up your, your, uh, your sole proprietorship, your LLC, and then possibly getting the EIN number, like, what does it take to be? on your own, kind of like how you're doing, like to be your own entity and like where you're supportive and you can pay your bills. Like what are the, what's the next step like after that that you would like, that you could like tell people? I think it's, I think it's a little different. See, a business owner is different than an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is new, new product, new market, right? That's okay. entrepreneurs. Right. A business owner is kind of like someone who just has something that they're trying to sell, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're just trying to sell something, it's a different process than entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship okay. is like I'm gonna I'm gonna sell peanut butter and jelly sandwiches out of the back of the trunk of my car. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, a business owner is like, okay, I'm gonna go get a McDonald's. You see what I mean? That's two different pathways. Right. But both, Some of the pre-manufactured words, you have to make them one by one. Yes, or all your problems are already figured out by somebody else. Got so it. If okay. you go read a book about, like, you know, how to run a restaurant, then, you, know, you know, you can do that. But bottom line is that if you're going to start a business, what you should do is figure out your measurable losses. You know what I mean? How much could you mm-hmm. lose? On this business, that's why people like don't quit their jobs before they start businesses, kind of thing, right? Because they can't really afford to lose, or they can't go all in just yet. I say that everyone has a different risk tolerance, and what you have to do is figure out what your risk tolerance is, Mm -hmm. which is how much could you lose 
Bucks right now? Or could you go slow? Could you starve? Is this something you would, you would starve and you're going to make it work? Because you can't have a plan B. You've got to be all in or getting your way in as you have the funds to get in there, you know? So right. it's kind of like you have to figure out what it is you do best. What's your core okay. skill set? That's first. Uh-huh. You can't be outside your skill set. Like, I can't go and try and coach basketball just because people who coach basketball make a lot of money, right? I can't right. go and do that because that's not my skill set. So you can't uh-huh. chase the money. You have to build a business around your particular skill set, right? Right. And you ha- you ha- I mean, so you have to find your risk tolerance, discover your skill set, build a business around your skill set. But here's the key to making money. You have to identify what kind of customer will spend money on what you are selling. The biggest flaw okay. in a lot of people when they start businesses, they don't know who's going to buy this. Like, okay. you can't say without a doubt that I can sell this bike to people who are 25 to 45 who go to work on an income of 65 to 135000 who live in a metropolitan area who like fitness. That's how that's how core I can get my target demographic. A lot of people right. can't get that target demographic that they can't pinpoint it that well. And if you can't pinpoint it that well, you don't really know that know enough about that market to sell anything because you can't go out there and try to be a one size fit all. Mm-hmm. And there's so many examples we have of that. Like so many artists can't sell. Like, like, let's take music, for instance, right? Right. There are so many music artists that aren't trying to sell to every single person. They're just trying to sell to their core audience. And if other people buy it, great. But I'm trying to sell to those people right there. Those are the most successful musicians ever. Mm. So, wow. And your business has to be just like that. So. Okay. And. That's my advice. So my okay, so that's cool and all, but how about getting the bag? Like, cause like people they they take yeah, maybe yeah. three hundred or a thousand. How do I get the bag? Like, how do I get investors? Like, how do I get investors okay, from so, being an entrepreneur? Like, if I have a, I got a nutraceutical product and I think it's great. I've done. I know to build a marketing deck. Um, I've tested the product on myself. It's great. Like. How do I take it to a Shark Tank or to like an angel fund group? Like, what do I? How do I get that type of the real money? Like, because you hear about market validation, like, huh? You need what you need what they call market validation. Okay. Like, for instance, what, if you okay, market validation is simply this. Imagine having a um, cupcake, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a special flaxseed cupcake that you make. Mm-hmm. If you can go out and fill out these cupcakes every time you go out, right? Every time you go mm-hmm. out, you can sell 100 of these cupcakes at five bucks a piece. Boom. When you finish, there are none left, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine having the money person sit there and see what happens when you bring the cupcakes out, right? He's going to be okay. like, wow, everybody's going to buy this thing. Everybody loves it. Look, it makes money. People love it. I can sell it. Yeah, you know, and so that's what you have to do with all of the stuff because a lot of people 
can't really sell a dream. You got to sell an actual item. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I can get well, into my thing. You, you know, so it's, yeah, no, 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 that's, but that's how you get the bag. Because what you don't want, right, is for someone to come in and say, hey, here's 10000 right? When you sell it and you validate your market, it also validates your work. So if you want to get a real bag, a real bag, you do that, and then you get to a point where you're not asking for 10. People are coming to you to give you money because then the money is a lot easier to get because now you're getting 100000 from this guy, 50000 from this guy because they just want to go along and make money with you. That's the, right. that's the key to getting your bag because no one wants to risk anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, because okay, you're going to have to do all the hustle. You're going to do all the hustle, but that means you get to own most of the company too. Does that right, make sense? Right, right. Because if yeah, that makes somebody comes in too early, now you have a 50-50 partners, but you're doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Now you could bring somebody else in. Now you only have 20% of the company, but you're doing all the work. You don't want that to happen. I've seen it happen with even the best lady, smartest people. Because oh, no. they go get the money too early. Or they go do something crazy like they'll go get inventory. I'm a huge fan of low inventory, no inventory, inventory on demand. I'm a huge fan of that. So, okay. I'm, so if you really want the bag, go get the bag, validate your market, and make sure that the money's coming in so that when other people come in, you can dictate the terms. But Okay. But yeah. here's the, I, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think the question is being answered. Like, for instance, like, for instance, like, okay, in the past, like, because, I mean, you know, you we got history. When I was doing the, yeah. the pick buy thing, we had the business. Yes. We had a business uh, memo. We did a deal memo. Like, what, what paperwork do I need to do to, to validate that so when I produce it to an investor or do I just need to have a finance person and leave it up to them? But how do I be ready for that? Like, after I've done the market valuation, like, I've proven myself. Like, what, do, what kind of paperwork should you, you I have like to keep track. You have to keep You have to keep documentation. And QuickBooks okay. is the best documentation of all. Okay. This is how much I spent on it. This is how much I made. See my profit. Okay. And Think then you take that. As the simplest, that you, simplest. Huh? And then you take those right. numbers that you got from QuickBooks and translate those into like a PowerPoint document where you're just like, this is what I made. This is what I no, spent. This is how much projection. Into a projection. Okay. You need to transfer that okay. into a projection to say, if I had $20,000, I can make this. But if I had 100000 I can make this. If I had a million, I can make this. That's what people get excited about. That's real. So that's then, what people get that's excited kind of, about. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff you can take to, like, your, your say, your parents or friends or an investor and be like, this is, you know, this is where I can take this if you give me this amount of capital. I'm already doing well with your help. Yes. And I make a percent of the company. I can do, I want to do this amount, and this is why. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because that's well, how we get the bag. You have to. Yes. So you have to every level what they call de-risk your company. Ooh. You have to take a good risk one. out of your company. You know that's your okay. job, and that's your job. That's not 
the job of the people with the money. That's your job. How risky is this? Well, because it okay. is this, 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 and this, I know I can make this money here with or without you. Mm, okay. Wow, that's that's key. Okay, so after that, your e-bike company. I don't know if you're able to go into this, but what are like, so like if I'm doing a product, I'm doing product development, what were five major loopholes that you found or like any challenging issues that you found that you could yeah. share with um, them? Okay, so the first one is because it's a bicycle. I'll go ahead and get to five. I'll, I'll see if I can get to five. I know at least three. One okay. is okay. Um, outliers. Okay. It's like, for instance, for a bicycle for me, right, I know who are my biggest people, and I know who are my smallest people that can fit on this bike, right? Mm-hmm. But if my limit is 275, what do I do with a 300-pounder? <laughs> you know what I mean? If if the shortest person who can ride this bike is 5'4", what do I do with someone who's 5'2"? You know what I mean? Mm. That it, that's mm-hmm. a design issue because you can't make it too for everybody, but you got to hit that middle so good. You know what I mean? To where right? Yeah, you know. But and that's the that's a real loophole. But you have to make that hard decision. You know, like when the first McDonald's burgers were out, they couldn't really accommodate people who couldn't eat salt. <laughs> you know, wow. it's kind of it just is what it is take it or leave it, but you got to be that streamlined with your first few products. Then you can make stuff for other people later. The second one is, um, second one is knowing that your first generation product is going to be trash in two years. That's a design. So it's like, uh, Tony Stark in the first, the Mark one suit. Yes. Yes, exactly that. Because what what you got to realize is that you're putting something out there to be critiqued, beat up, and innovated on. You know, it's literally your vanilla cake. It's literally a vanilla cake. You're going out there, you're figuring out if people like this or not. But that's the whole point. You can make money with this, but. Oh wait, people like red too. Okay, I'm glad I made. Now I'm going to make a red bike, but I'm, I'm glad I didn't make didn't make a purple bike because they will be sitting on the shelf, nobody buying them right now. Right. Mm. Third right. thing in terms of design innovation is doing too much too soon. Okay. So uh-huh. one of the things things that happens with a lot of people they get real creative but they don't really hit that one thing and do it so well before they innovate the next one. It's like you, it's like they come to the market with 12 different t-shirts, right? 12 right. different t-shirt designs instead of three. You mm-hmm. know, come with your best three. Make sure those three are, like, outstanding. Then innovate, you know, maybe next season. But at least focus on those three and make sure those three are selling before you have 12 because you'll end up with inventory and wasted energy. And when you're working as a um, entrepreneur, your energy is energy and time are your real resource, and you can't waste it. You can't waste it. Like I could be wasting my time on making another cargo bike, I can make kids bikes, I can make a BMX, like the Big Ripper. You know what I mean? Or I can right. make a 
triathlon bike, but I'm focused on this one area. Let me dominate e-bikes first, and then I can do the other stuff. That's where my head is, and that's what I advise entrepreneurs to do. Wow. So figuring out the one thing and honing in so well that it's like, I don't know how else to explain it. Like you just you have mastery over that one thing, whatever it is. Yeah. It's kind of like, imagine it being like a food truck, right? Huh? That one food you cook that brings the people to, to, to your food truck is the one you need to focus on first. You know okay. what I mean? If you're going to make hot dogs, bring them in with the hot dogs. Don't make pizza yeah. and tacos and everything else. Hot dogs. This is the hot dog hot food dogs, truck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, but so many people try and do so much so soon they don't. The hot dogs are now nasty because you've spent more time on pizza and hamburgers when hot dogs were your thing. So hmm. innovate the hot dog, dominate the hot dog. It's the best winky dinky dog ever. That's what an entrepreneur <laughs> does. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's, that's some good piece of advice, man. So. Yeah. I've learned a lot. <laughs> I know. I know you have. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about the beginning. Your first, did you, have you, your first bike Oh, my you God. Built. Can we oh talk about that? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. Can you hear me? Hello? I can hear you. Go can you hear me? In. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I did all that market research stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to sell my bikes to these high-end rich people who ride bikes to work, right? So what uh-huh. I'm going to do is I'm going to make this bike. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to have a leather handbag on it that you can attach to it, hook your computer in, leather handlebars, leather seats, even leather straps to go around your t- around one of the pedals, right? Uh-huh. It, I mean, my first garrison was beautiful, okay? Okay. And... I spent about eight grand on this bike or whatever, right? Okay. And took it out. Guess how many I sold? Zero. Uh, Not a single one. You know why? Because I did not realize that I was in Boston. So guess what happens to leather bikes in the cold? Exactly. Yeah, so they're like, wait, we're not going to buy this bike because it's going to crack. I'm like, oh, my God, what? And and so basically you learn your lesson. It's kind of like, you know, there's this other thing we do in business um, called um, the Mike Tyson rule. Have you heard this before? No, I have not heard this. Please. Yeah, the Mike Tyson rule is everyone has a plan until they – Get punched in the mouth, right? Yeah, yeah. Get punched in the face. The market (laughs) will always punch you in the face. Always, always. There's so much out there that you don't know until you get out there. Exist. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if you take, you know, any kind of pop-up shop. Let's say you have your T-shirts once again on the table, right? You got three of them there. You don't know that that everybody's coming to this thing is, is going to be asking for a large. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't. So you fill out your you fill out your larges, and don't nobody want the mediums and the smalls. 
So you have to go back and figure out that, hey, but who's there to tell you that until you go out there and know? That's what that measurable loss is because now you've lost money on the smalls and the mediums, but you learned enough to know that i got to have more larges if I'm going to go to set up my shop at Exposition Park, you know? Right. It's kind of it's kind of like you have to know these things are going to happen. You have to know that the market may not be what you think the market is. Wow. And there's no way to, like, indicate or predict that from ever happening. Oh, yeah. No. Like, for instance, think of all the people who started 2020 thinking that there was going to be a retail market. Oh, that's got to be painful. And every, a lot of shops have closed up. I've known some. I know some very well established shops. They're just like we're closing up shop. They're selling everything. Liquid. Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus going for good. Lord and Taylor oh. going for good. You know, and all these restaurants. They were counting on people to sit down at the table and and get dinner. They weren't counting on takeout. Well, side note. Since you're you're in yes. business and finance, let me ask you: Do you think there's a possibility for retail to come back in theory, and how would they do that? Okay, well, I'm going to get into some secret, like crazy stuff here. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I could. Yeah, I'll tell you. We got artificial intelligence. Artificial reality is going to be the way retail comes back. Okay. Imagine being able to use your phone to walk into a store without actually leaving your house. So think about going to Foot Locker, right? On your phone. You log into your phone. You point your phone, and it's like walk around like a 360, and you're inside a Foot Locker. You can Mm -hmm. literally reach your hand out, grab that pair of shoes, look at it, get it in a size 12, put it down by your feet, see how it looks. Right. That's real right now. Wait, retail who has an example is, of that? Uh, if you go to a website called Vertebrae, they do that okay. right now. Oh. oh, okay. All right. Yeah, there's all these e-commerce sites where they can bring the actual physical product to your house via artificial reality. That's the way retail is going to come back. Because the thing about, like, Amazon is that you don't know quality based on how these pictures look. You don't right. know size, you don't know shape, so you still want to try things, but you still want to see how it looks in the flesh, so to speak. Not in the mm-hmm. flesh, but you still want to, like, see it. This is what I'm actually buying before it arrives. That's why Best Buy is around, because you still want to go see this TV for yourself. Right. Because there's no way of, there's no way of communicating that. But now that I mean that's that's the blessing and the curse of I would say Amazon and e-commerce because so many people have bought things and they arrived they didn't look like they thought they would look. Yep, that's happened. So people are now wanting to actually touch what they buy because no one wants to get burnt anymore on any of the clothes you know that they thought were yeah. going to be cool. So, but I do think retail you know, is coming back. I kind of I kind of thought there was an idea of maybe like a try before you buy kind of store where it's like 
a version of Best Buy where you have like all the different like different products based upon category that would be kind of like the store mm-hmm. and it would be there. You could try it and then you purchase it through them through special order, kind of like an Amazon prime and it just arrives at your house versus like the stores carrying a big inventory of stuff. But they just but have the like problem the is the stores that can do that have, there's what they call business models, right? And once you set uh-huh. up your business model, it's hard to pivot your business model. Does that make sense? So, like, yeah. the Macy's, for instance, they could do that. Macy's could do that right now. Like, yeah, quite a step, Macy's can do that. Like, Reebok, not Reebok, but Foot Locker. They could do that mm-hmm. right now. Foot Locker could do the Warby Parker mode if you, the, um, yeah, the Warby Parker mode if they wanted to. Send you five pair of shoes. You don't like you don't like these. Send them right back. They could do that. However, wow. there's no profit in it because they don't have to. Right. They don't have to. I mean, it's going to be or have to be some new company that comes in. Like for instance, speaking of business and innovation. Blockbuster could have did what Netflix was doing a long time ago. Netflix actually went to Blockbuster, but Blockbuster's business model wasn't for you to have your DVDs at home. It was for you to walk in their stores. And now, look look at the shift we got going on now. All those years, people thought that for a movie to make money, you got to go sit in the theater. Trolls proved that wrong, (laughs) didn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, now now the business model of walking to a theater is the only way you can make money on a theatrical release has been shattered, which makes this week and next week interesting because I want to see what Mulan does. Because you know, yeah. if Mulan makes, you know, if Mulan makes a crazy amount of money, you may not see the same theaters. You may not see theaters the same way. Anymore, because Disney will just upset the apple court and eliminate the middleman. But it, it was overdue. It was overdue because we don't necessarily walk into CD stores anymore and buy CDs. It's all streaming now, you know. And vinyl selling—I mean, I love vinyl—but what we have to consider is that your business model has to be set up for adaptability, and that's the way 2020 and beyond is going to be. How, how nimble are you in your business model? Like, for instance, all those restaurants that were able to, able to convert to takeout, they're doing good. <laughs> right. But the ones that needed people to come and sit down in, in the restaurant, you see, that's what I right. mean. And as an innovator, you have to have that quick-on-your-feet kind of nimbleness to go and get that. So. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. So your business, do you have employees working for you, or are you outsourcing everything? I outsource quite a bit, but I still have six, have six people with me right now. But when we go back into the actual warehouse, we'll probably be at 35 to about 40. So your management style, how does that work? And like, how do you deal with your employees? Like, is there a, 
what are some things that you've seen that you can kind of like tell uh, another entrepreneur that may be going in the type of business that you're doing? Like, how do you, how do you deal with your, your people? Pay them, talk to them, listen to them mm-hmm. and respect them. Those are like, okay. or the mate, if you can't pay them, then you can't be in business. You got to do the work yourself. Respect okay. them enough to where if they they have lives, they're human, you know, they have feelings, they have other stuff going on. For instance, if they are sick and they needed to get their pick up their kids at three at you know whatever, let them go. You know, that's mm-hmm. that relationship building thing, so that they don't feel like they don't feel like you're not in their corner when they need you to be. Some people are just difficult, but other people aren't. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you. I'm listening. I'm just listening very intently. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. learning while I'm Yeah. Yeah. But basically, when dealing with people, you have to realize that as an employer, not an employee, as an employer, these people are doing you a favor by working for you. You're not doing them a favor by, by paying them money. They're doing you a favor by working because there's so many people who will who you will hire who will not work. It is the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> it is the weirdest thing in the world. So if you find somebody who's willing to come to work and actually do work, actual physical work or mental work or service, be appreciative. Bring them donuts if you have to. <laughs> you know, it's just like take care of your people and they will take care of you. Okay. Wow. All right. Uh, so what, what have you, have you had to deal with anybody difficult in your beginning stages of your business and how did you deal with them? Oh yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to go into that right now because oh, okay. some of that's just like, I don't want to publicly blast anybody, but yeah, okay. nothing's easy when you first start, but you learn as you go, like everything else, you're going to mess up, you're going to fail, you learn as you go. But in the end, you just know there's something greater that you got to get to. So okay, is all right. Is there a lighter version of that you can say without being too, you know, well, too detailed? They're, they're employees. They're employees that think they are entitled to be the boss alongside you. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Like I got to go get money and everything, so I got to go talk to these people. That's why I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> You know what I mean? So right. I can't go deal with all this stuff as if we're on the same page, you know, today. Right. Tomorrow i got to go do something else, but you can't be there for everybody and everything because it's literally if you fall, the whole business falls. And you got to remember that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Some people don't get it because they've never been in that position. But Wow. Once you get there, you'll, you'll realize that the whole weight of this entire thing is on your shoulders. You are the one responsible for making payroll this month, you know? So Right. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, you want to cover this 12 grand this month? <laughs> or was it me? <laughs> All right, um, cool. So, okay, when you were doing your initial your designs for your bike, like, how did you vet out your 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 designers and the people that were doing the illustration for the design. And then, yeah, let's just start there. 
How do you how do you know um, like who's good and who's You gotta ask for portfolios. You gotta look at LinkedIn links, portfolios, do interviews, talk to people, get recommendations from people, and I'll tell you right now, the best people are the assistants or interns for people who you can't afford. <laughs> so should you just ask for their assistance? Like, well, who's your assistant? I don't want to tell no, you. no. I, I, no, I actually, I'm like, yo, you know, because seriously, if you go to somebody and they're like, hey, we designed Teslas, right? We're high end. You can't afford us. But I want to do this. They go, you know what? There's this kid, Bob, straight out of school over here. Go talk to Bob. I'll pay Bob to come and go work with you. <laughs> Just to put something else in this portfolio. Bob will work his butt off. Wow. That's okay. You got to be smart. And you know what I mean? You got to be smart. So That's how you do when it. You were vetting, yeah. When you were vetting those guys, is it based upon when you see the drawings, is it just a feeling? Like, okay, this guy can actually. No, you do literally. You literally leverage his relationship with his boss. You're like, yo, boss, is this good work or is this not? You know what? Let me touch it up a little bit. All right, that looks good. <laughs> okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, like for instance, if you were, if you were working with someone else, or if you had a, if with if someone wanted you but they couldn't afford you, but you're working, you have a little high school student with you, but you know the high school student has skills. So before that high school student turns something in, he gives it to you. You look at it and make sure it's clean. And then you guys turn it in. And now i got somebody I can work with. He's got some in portfolio. And you look like a champ because your, your legacy is about to get expanded. Huh. Wow. Okay. Dang. I, man, there's a lot that goes into this. Um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Okay, so um, so you've done all of that. You got that going now. Your your bike, like, so are you just mastering honing just that, or do you forward where you want to go with it, or or if there's something um, else that you want to, are you just focusing on this for now through what 2024? Uh, only thing only thing I can say is that we're going from what exists now to a motorcycle. I could say that out loud. Um, we will be a motorcycle manufacturer within the next four years. I'm literally okay. looking to take on the Harley Davidson of the world. Oh wow! Yeah, that's big. Yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, for me, failure is failure. Just sleeping in my truck for two weeks. You know, that's I've been, been there, done that. So, I fear nothing. You know. <laughs> just put it put, put enough away to where if it fails you shut it down you still can eat okay cool great okay so all right you said that wait i need to back up a minute i forgot to ask you one thing your ted talk yeah how yes like how did you how did you get into the ted talk I have no idea. They came and asked me. <laughs> I was doing my thing, and they, they knew I was doing my thing as a nonprofit. And they came and asked me, and I did it. And so, yeah, so I had a TED Talk. 
was it hard? Was it, how did you feel? I mean, how did you feel? Like, how, was it challenging? Like, was it, was it? It was, it was okay. It was, no, it was okay, but it was difficult for me because I was at this university and I wanted to do this whole study of how my, like, um, algorithm worked and all this other stuff. And mm-hmm. some certain people were like, you can't do that because you're not a professor, right? Like, we can't have a layman up here talking numbers and everything else. I'm like, wait, bro, I can't. So I was like, you know what? Let me just tell a story. So if you watch my TED Talk, I had to write that speech two days before I gave it. Oh, gosh. But I'm the only person. I was the only person in the whole session who did not present research. <sighs> How did that go over? Oh, it went over well. I mean, I'm the, I was like the third most watched person from that session or whatever. But, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, but it, wow. it's, it's, it's just a, you know, we have to keep pressing on despite whatever roadblock to throw in front of us. Okay. Any, anything that you learned from that that you would pass, if anybody gets into a situation like that, if they're like, oh, we want to do a TED Talk, what do you think they should do that? What would you have done differently if you were got in oh, that situation? Oh, only thing I would have done differently is have a book or something to sell. <laughs> oh, wow. If you have nothing to monetize after a TED Talk, you have no reason to do a TED Talk. Uh, I had all these opportunities to go and talk to people and do speeches and all this other stuff. But I had no books to sell. I had no, I had nothing, you know, there was nothing to do. You know, there's no way for me to monetize being having a TED talk. Like a lot of people weren't ready. It's kind of like going to shark tank and your website isn't ready to have a, have a million hits. No, (laughs) that's exactly what it was like. Oh, did it hurt your heart when you did? You're like, I don't have a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I'm sitting there watching people, say. and they're like, yeah, go to Amazon.com and buy my book. Go to Barnes & Noble, and I'm going to do a book signing next week. Ah. And I'm like, you can donate the money on profit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's where that was. Oh, my gosh, that must have been painful. Oh, okay. Wow. Brandell, hey, man, I'm going to ra- get ready to wrap up the episode. Man, thank you so thank much. Thank you so for much for here. having me. Thank you so much um, for having me. I think we're going to do a roundtable with all of my finance and business people and just on another thing and just really, like, hash out, like, the business of business because I don't think a lot of people know that. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, we're going to have to talk offline about some other things. Um yeah, because you've been very instrumental, hey, like, really just to me, and I hope that like, the let's, audience can get a lot out of this. Thank you for having me. Let's 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 uh, let's link up. I'm around, and um, okay. thank you so much. Um, do you have anything that you want people to like look at, like a website or anything for um, future content? Yeah, we're raising money. We're raising money right now for a nonprofit called Bethany Hill Place. So go to. Um, 1854cycling.store, S-T-O-R-E, 
1864cycling.store. And we're basically selling apparel to raise money for the Zorro Best for Best Eagle Place. And they can can go there, buy a sweatshirt, and 100% of the proceeds go there. All right. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you, man. And uh, we'll be talking soon. And audience, thank you very much. Uh, Be good to each other. Be safe. Wear a mask. And, uh, you know, that's all I got. All right, then. Till next time. We out. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.